a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. DJ PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Pablo Mastroni, the RSL interim head coach. Pablo, good morning. Morning, guys. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I'm curious, as the interim head coach, there have been a lot of things happening really quickly. What has been the biggest thing for you to adjust to on the fly in the middle of this season? Oh, man, there's, there's, it's, it's, there's a lot, right? Um, having, having to, you know organize the way we want to do things? Do we want to keep things the same? Do we want to tweak them a little bit? Are there areas where we can improve on from a playing perspective? And then it's the, the, the meetings with uh, upper management that you don't necessarily have to do with a, as an assistant coach. Um, and, and then it's just the amount of pressure you put on yourself to make sure you get the, the ship steering in the right direction. So it's kind of all-encompassing, um, both on a personal level and professional level. Um, but it's one that I'm familiar with and uh, – you know, after after we got back from Vancouver, things settled down a little bit, and we got a bit in, in a bit of a routine, and um, it's been uh, it's it's been quite comfortable since. Is that what it was in the first go around? For lack of a better word, a shock to the player systems, and then it settled in, and then obviously the performance was much better. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Yeah, I think you know. Again, I think there's so many variables that that went into that uh, that Vancouver situation you know i think we we, did, we didn't have dami we didn't have uh herrera and i think those are both you know two of our emotional leaders and then given the the situation with what you know two days before you know freddie addressed the group and so there's a lot of people i think when, when things like that happen your world stops right and you think about as a player you think about my you know my future am i going to be at this club next year am i you know is this who is is does pablo you know like me as a player I mean, there's so many. Is this is this an audition for me? There's so many things going through their heads, um, and you know, it's it's hard to kind of explain, um, you know, how they're going to react. Some sometimes it's in a positive way, but I think in in this way it was there was a negative reaction because we we had a good thing going and, and Freddie had done a good job with the group and, and there's a lot of trust there and so all of a sudden he's gone and and then there's a lot of question marks. Well, you bring up one thing with everybody worried about their future. It's very odd to go through a season without an owner. And it's happened a few times in different sports, so it's not unprecedented. But it's probably the first time anybody on this club has had to do it. And that would seem to inject just a tremendous amount of doubt, whether you're a player, a coach, in the front office, because the person who ultimately gets the call the shots is maybe 60 days away from being here, and they aren't here. Right. No, it's really interesting, you know, and, and you know, guys, the, the, when, when I have conversations with guys in the front office, we're all, we're all in the same boat, you know, and I talked to the players and, and, you know, they were voicing their concerns about not knowing their contract situation going into next year and, 
you know, we, uh, my family lives in a different country and I got to know what's going on. And I said, everyone in this club is in the same situation. And I said, the, the, the only way to navigate these tough times is to stay present and to, and to really focus on the next training session, the next game. And if you can really put all your attention in that, you're going to eventually get to the point where there's going to be an ownership group in here and then decisions will be made. But between now and then, you know, I think that, that, that's, that struggle to, to, to find some sort of um, security um, in, in our careers is difficult. But again, I think that's another reason why it's, it's, it's been really important for us to really stay as a group and stay, you know, connected and uh, really lean on each other in these really uh, unknown times. Been in this business a long time in the media, and I like to talk to coaches after they've had a few years under their belt, and maybe even the second time around, because they'll tell you some insightful stuff about what they didn't know, what they did know, how they can be better. Now, you have done this now as an interim coach, but you're still the head coach now. This is your second go-around as a head coach, and the first one you know, was several years ago on the other side of the mountain there in Colorado. How have you developed and evolved as a coach to put yourself in a better position to be able to communicate what you want and coach these guys? Oh man, I've 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 changed drastically. I've learned I've learned a lot, um, and, and you know, and they say experience hurts, and uh, it's kind of when I went through my first time. You know, I went from playing to coaching, and I quickly realized that even though I was a leader in the locker room, now my voice as a coach had a had a different, um, a different ring to it to the players. Now I was the guy making decisions for their careers or their playing time, and I and I had to learn that one real quick, you know, because I was I was talking to them like a teammate in the locker room. Guys, come on, pull your heads out, let's go, and and they were looking at me like, wow, that's you know that's a bit aggressive, and they, they didn't respond the way I expected, and, and then I realized it's because I, I was in a different chair. Um, so so that part. The other part was, you know, when you're done playing soccer, you, you finish the game with the most. Um, the most knowledge of the game. You're able to your 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 computer hardware is able to process things at amazing speeds, and so now you're a coach, and and you have to you have to break that knowledge down into digestible bits for these players because some of them are 18, some of them are just coming out of the academy, some some may have never learned certain things, and here I am throwing all these big ideas, complex ideas at the players, and and it was just I could see their eyes. They're like, what is this guy talking about? Um, and so I had to learn that part of it. How do, how, how do I break information down? And, and again, pedagogy, the, the, the art of, of, of teaching and, and breaking things down into, into those bits. Um, and then the other part, from a management perspective, I, I feel like as I got better uh, people, I feel like I'm a people person. I feel like I can communi- communicate well with people, although I had a really hard time with um, communicating upwards. And that was a real, real struggle for me. I felt like... I knew the game. This is this is the way I see it. If you don't like it, well, that's too bad because I've been in the game, <laughs> and I didn't know how to communicate to the people that may not have the same experience but have the same love and desire to grow a club. And so you put all those things together, and I can probably throw in about twenty or thirty more. That <laughs> um, it's it's really been a, a wonderful experience to, to 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 get fired, to go as an assistant in Houston, and now to come here as an assistant and and really keep learning. And I think this. This is the beauty of coaching is that it just never stops. And I'm going to look back five years from now and go, man, 
I was still a knucklehead, you know. So, <laughs> there's a lot of growth to be had. So on, on that subject, uh, you you famously uh, got into it, and you weren't the only one. It was quite the crazy scene on Rice Stadium that night. But uh, you got into it with Dave Checkets. When you're coming here 15, minute, 15 years later, I mean, for someone like the two of us, it's been forever. It's like, yeah, it's the end of a game, and you're fired up, so what? But I, I've been told that you had a certain amount of chagrin about that, probably don't even love me bringing it up now, but is there anything to get past with that, or did you wonder how fans were going to receive you or anything? Um, I, I thought about it for a little bit, you know, but but I think, again, kind of, I think back at some of the things I did when I was, you know, a teenager, and I'm like, man, I, I can't believe you did that, you know? Um, but it wasn't that it was a wrong thing. It was just, that's where I was in my journey of life, in my journey in this game, and that's what that rivalry meant to me as a player, and that's how I carried myself. So it's, it's, it's you know, I, I forgive myself for that behavior, but in the moment it was real, it was authentic. It wasn't something that I thought about, man, when I'm older I'm going to regret this moment. You know, it was like it was, it was there. And so, um, and if, if nothing else, it was just uh, it was great to see a guy like Dave Checkets, who was really passionate about his club, that really, you know, looked looked after it and was on the was on the ground there during that game, and, and approached me afterwards and says, you know, that this behavior is, you know, unacceptable. And, and then you know we exchanged some words, and um, you know, and I and I talk to Spence every now and again, and, and we talk about it a little bit. But uh, I think at this point, it's it's you know water under the bridge, and we've moved forward. But uh, definitely an experience that. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget, and more than likely, a lot of fans won't forget either. So you talk about some wild times as a teenager, Pablo. You ever do some crazy things like I did at that parking lot of Jack in the Box just up the street from 19th and Thunderbird? Because you may not know this, but right now you're talking to PK, who is also, much like you, a famous graduate of Thunderbird High in Phoenix, Arizona. No way. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, that Jack in the Box. <laughs> that's amazing uh, yeah. yes yeah, it I'm is <laughs> when I looked up your bio I started laughing and thinking oh we have got to get this man on the show I'm a little older and you did some stuff at the football field there for the soccer team go down there right on Thunderbird Road a little bit on the baseball field at the hot corner yeah I won the gold glove my senior year as a Thunderbird wow. Chief absolutely so you and I are brothers man Thunderbird yeah. High, yeah. I mean, we scored on and off the field at Thunderbird. That's for sure. <laughs> I've had similar experiences at BK. That, that school, yeah, that school's amazing, man. I go back and I sometimes I go back and I run there, and uh, when we go back for Christmas, and and I take my son over there and we play, we throw some ball around or you know knock the ball, and it just brings back all those all those crazy memories back in the the early nineties of of you know. Thunderbird at, at that time. That's that's pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, the racquetball courts there. Pablo, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> seriously, everything broke with Freddie during our show, and a commercial break, he looks you up, and he starts cackling, and he's telling you, you're never going to believe this. You are never going to believe this. I know he knows about the jack-in-the-box. <laughs> I think it's still there, by the way. It is still there. My wife grew up yeah. on 8th Avenue in Thunderbird, so we go back Molten, both of our families still live there. We go back quite often. I grew up uh, off of Greenway Road in 23rd. Where'd you go? Yeah, 7th Avenue and Greenway, right there across the street from Mountain Sky Middle School. 
Absolutely, my man. Yeah. My, my, my parents still live there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Way to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my, one of my highlights of my life is when they finally opened up Moon Valley Country Club to the public, and I got to play it after lusting out all those years <laughs> who had friends who lived in the Moon Valley area, and it was private. Yeah, no, that's. I, I remember that was the only way I got on was my buddies would, would bring a guest, and I was the guest. <laughs> oh man! All right, Pablo, we know we know you got duties as interim head coach. You got to get to, so you better run. But uh, thanks for joining us for a few minutes. And PK really wanted to go down Thunderbird memory lane. He couldn't wait. We'll do it again. That's awesome, fellas. Great talking to you guys. Have All a great thank- day. Pablo Estroni right there, RSL's interim head coach, <laughs> the legendary Jack in the Box. <laughs> it was a they hangout. Don't, they don't have it here. In San Diego when I was growing up, it was a big deal. It was. It was a big deal. They had great commercial campaigns, and they were, they were the new cool burger Who doesn't joint. remember Rodney Allen Rippey? As <laughs> a guy who married into a Southern California family. Right, Jack, Jack in the, the box. box. It's a, a big deal. deal. Yeah. I'm a little older than him, obviously, and my uh, Thunderbird was the first um, class that went there all four years, mm-hmm. and now in and around it's there's a there's a couple little strip corner malls, but at the time uh, shopping centers, I mean, but at the time from the school which was on 19th, and the Jack in the Box was less than a quarter mile away. There was really nothing between the school and a Jack in the Box. They built a new school on the edge of town. They've done yeah, it, they've yeah, done yeah. it here on the Wasatch Front so a million times. Right. That, that Jack in the Box was where it was at, <laughs> man. You hung, if, and you were bored. You went to the Jack in the Box because there was going to be kids hanging on, hanging out there. <laughs> so <laughs> I knew he would know it. He had to have known it. It's an icon, man. No, he knew it. He knew it. <laughs> and I has nothing to do with the uh, bonus jack. Although, if you got three hits in a game in the summer league, they get you bonus jack. I think I got it once. I hit a couple of bloops and probably a swinging bunt or something. The bonus jack. <laughs> I had not thought of a bonus jack in forever. Was that a double? Is that what it was? I don't remember. I don't remember threw it all together. But, I mean, Pablo and I, a couple of Thunderbird Chiefs, is. man. All right. well. This is awesome. And I got I got a friend who I played ball with who now lives up here and he's listening right now. He's texting me like crazy about it. <laughs> <laughs>